Good morning. I got to tell you, I was a little bit tempted just to stay in my seat and see if Travis would come up and start preaching. Good to see you here this morning. If you're a guest of ours, we are especially honored to have you with us today. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to start this morning with a joke. And I know I quite often start with a joke, but I'm going to tell you up front, this one's not funny, okay? But there's a reason why I'm telling it to open up this lesson. A fellow was learning how to parachute, and he was going through the classes, and towards the end of the classes, the instructor told him, now listen, remember when you get to about 300 feet, you need to be prepared to land. And the young guy said, well, how will I know when I'm at 300 feet? And the instructor said, at 300 feet, you'll be able to recognize faces of people on the ground. He thought about that for a second or two and then said, but what if I don't know anybody? (laughs) Don't give me that look. I told you it wasn't funny. But whether you're in a middle school cafeteria or walking into worship on a Sunday morning, we all carry around this anxiety of, but what if I don't know anybody? Let me put a plug in here. If you don't know anybody here, you need to come to our Wednesday night intergenerational drive. You will get to know people. You'll have an Acts 2.42 experience. You will share together. I think you'll have fun. These last couple weeks have been so much fun. You're not going to be embarrassed. You're not going to be singled out in any way. You're just going to be part of the family. So, Wednesday nights, 7.30. If you're not usually here on Wednesday, take advantage. What a wonderful time to show up and try it. I promise you, you'll enjoy it. Okay. We have been in this sermon series, uh, Doing Life Together. And I want to remind you of the passage that I kind of used to kick this series off with a few weeks ago. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there is teaching and he's using a if-then statement. Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Paul says, listen, if Jesus is real in your life, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, if tenderness and compassion, if those aren't just catchphrases to you, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Let me ask you this this morning. Is that really possible today in our society with social media, with the political landscape like it is? Is it really possible to, to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose? Well, obviously it is, right? You're in church, right? And the Bible wouldn't say do it if it weren't possible. So the question really becomes, how do you do it? How do we pull that off? Which is a little bit what we've been talking about these past several weeks. There's a researcher out of Stanford University named Carol Dweck. She wrote a book called Mindset. And in her book and through her research, she's done a whole lot of work on how people deal with 
change and how they deal with challenges, how they deal with failure and success. And part of her research was to gather a group of 10-year-old students and give those 10-year-olds increasingly difficult math problems to solve. Basically, she wanted to see how kids handled failure. She knew they would get to a point where they wouldn't be able to solve the math problems. And what she found was most children responded exactly like you thought they would. They got frustrated when they got in over their heads academically. They got uh, you know, discouraged and they just quit. Can't do it. Give up. But she found that there were some 10-year-olds who didn't get discouraged and some who didn't, uh, didn't get frustrated. In fact, some of them loved the challenge. One little boy said, I know if I get this one part, I can figure the rest of it out. A 10-year-old girl who was given a very difficult puzzle said, if I can just get this first piece, I know the rest of it's going to fall together. And what this researcher concluded is, some of these children, they weren't discouraged by failure. In fact, they didn't see themselves as failing. They saw themselves as learning. And they were energized by it. And her conclusion was that there's really two types of mindsets. Two ways that we can look at life. Two ways to kind of go through life. And I think this is really important on, on a spiritual level. One way is what she called the uh, closed mindset. And I'm going to explain it this way. Think of your life as, as a jar. And in the jar are our traits and our abilities and our talents. These ping pong balls sort of represent all the things that we're able to do. Now, we've all got a certain amount of intelligence and giftedness and athleticism and attractiveness and social standing and charisma. And you have all these traits, and, and they're, they're pretty obvious to everyone, and, and they sort of define who you are. And we kind of get the feeling that my worth is dependent on what I have in my jar. And my goal is for you to look at my jar and say, wow, that's a pretty full jar. No, you're, you're quite a guy. Now, if that's the way I look at life with that closed mindset, then any kind of change, any kind of challenge, I'm going to try to avoid that. Because I might not have enough in my jar to meet the challenge. And I don't want you to know that I might not have enough in my jar to meet the challenge. So I'm going to stay with a closed mindset. I'm going to stay right in my wheelhouse. I'm not going to try to stretch myself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to do anything that I've never really done before. I'm just going to stay right in my comfort zone because I know it's in my jar. And I don't want you to know that I might not have something in my jar that you know, someone else might have. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this. When I was a youth minister here, they opened up the Brandon Ice Skating Rink. No, ice skating in Central Florida. Who would have thought? So one Saturday, we took a group of teenagers and several parents ice skating. Here's what happened. Every single adult that went with us, with the exception of one or two who had grown up ice skating, every single adult said, I am not getting on skates. I don't know how to skate. Never done it. Count me out. I'll sit here and watch. Every single adult. What do you think every single teenager said? I don't know how to skate either. Out of my way. I'm going skating. And the teenagers, went, they went out and they had a blast. 
And their parents were all like, well, how much longer do we have to sit here? You know, I'll share this with you. Since he's not here, since he's uh, living in Tennessee now, the first time we took our son Nate ice skating, I think he was in the sixth grade, never been ice skating before. He was so excited to try. He laces his skates up. He walks to the edge of the ice. He puts one foot on the ice. That was it. The second foot never made it to the ice. He put one foot on the ice and does a face plant. Now both feet are still back in the carpeted area, but his face is on the ice. He drives his uh, braces up through his lips, blood everywhere. I'm like, are you kidding me? Come on. So we, you know, we pull him back off the ice. We clean him up. We take him to the emergency room, and he gets a couple stitches in his lips. As we're leaving the emergency room, he's got all this gauze packing. He's like, when can we go skating again? <laughs> you, you realize you haven't exactly been skating yet. Okay? But you know, with a closed mindset, whatever's in our jar, that's pretty much where we stay. We're not looking to stretch ourselves. We're not looking to, to change anything about us. And you know what's even worse? What if this is all that's in my jar? What if I'm not handsome? Imagine that. This is hypothetical, of course. <laughs> but what if I'm not gifted? What if I'm not athletic? What if I'm just the one talent guy? And now I've got to stand next to you with your jar. I'm not going to like that very much. And that's a, that's a closed mindset. And a lot of people go through life like that. I think most people go through life with a closed mindset. A lot of fear. A lot of insecurity. Because their worth is always on the line. They're always trying to prove to themselves and others that, that they have enough in their jar. And you'll notice there's a lid on the jar. What's in the jar pretty much stays in the jar. But then this researcher said there's another way to go through life and look at life. And she calls it a growth mindset. And I'm going to illustrate it with this. With a growth mindset, there's no lid on the jar. In fact, there's a seed to be planted. With a growth mindset, what matters isn't my raw ability. What matters is growth. And growth is always possible. A commitment to grow means I'm going to embrace challenges. And I'm going to look forward to them. I'm not going to be afraid of change. And the goal doesn't become for me to prove that I'm better or smarter or more confident than someone else. The goal becomes I want to grow beyond where I am right now. Wherever that might be. With a growth mindset, failure is not the end of the world. It's just a learning experience. No, the jar has a lid. The plant has roots. It's drawing from an outside source. Life is all about growth. Now, obviously, I, I want to translate this onto a spiritual uh, thought. Because as a Christian, I never want to say, well, this is who I am, this is who I've always been, and this is what I've always done, and nothing about that's going to change. As a Christian, I want to say, this is who I am today, and this is what I'm capable of today, 
but I'm not sure what I'll be capable of tomorrow because I'm, I'm drawing life from an outside source. There's something else going on here. So I'm actually going to stretch and I'm going to grow over time. And what that means is I'm going to change a little bit over time. Now that's a tricky word with a lot of us. We don't like to think about change. How many Church of Christ members does it take to change a light bulb? We ain't changing nothing. (laughs) But growth is about change, isn't it? Okay. So how do you change a mindset? How do you go from a closed mindset to a growth mindset? A couple things have to happen. First, we've got to be convinced that it's really better to have a growth mindset than a closed mindset. We've got to be convinced that's preferable. Then we've got to be convinced that it can be done. And then it would be great if someone would model it for us. If we could look at someone and say, okay, that's how you do it. So let's go ahead and answer those questions this morning. First question, is a growth mindset the better choice? Should I desire a growth mindset? Should I be seeking to become or should I just be content with having arrived? Well, this is actually the easiest question to answer because over and over and over and over again, the New Testament talks about Christians maturing and growing and becoming and transforming. Let me start with the obvious. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The same writer Paul is going to say to the church in Philippi, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I'm still not all I should be. But I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and to receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. And then in the book of 2 Peter, Peter is going to weigh in. Chapter 1, verse 8. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you are getting better and better, if you are growing and growing in these qualities, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice those, those words that we just read there? Be transformed. Keep working toward. Add to your faith. Possess these qualities in increasing measure. Yeah, it is to our benefit to desire a growth mindset to be focused on maturing and becoming, not to settle for who we've always been and what we've always done. So the the second question is, okay, is it possible? Again, if we believe the Word of God, and I do, not only is it possible, it's expected of us. In fact, not only is it expected, 
I think it's demanded of us. Notice what Paul has to say to the Christians who are worshiping in Thessalonica. Chapter 1, verse 3, Second Thessalonians. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Paul writes to these Christians who are doing life together, and he says, hey, you're doing it right. Way to go. Your faith is growing. Your love is increasing. There's no expectation that they were to stay like they always were. There's no expectation that the lid stays on the jar. They're growing. Paul recognizes their growth. He commends them for their growth. And then notice what he says to Christians in Colossians. And I love the wording here. Colossians 2, verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to Him. Look at verse 7. Let your roots grow down into Him and draw up nourishment from Him so you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all He has done. It is absolutely possible for us to possess a growth mindset, to allow our roots to grow down into Him and draw up nourishment from Him. So, the real question becomes, okay, how do you do it? How do you pull it off? How do you adopt this growth mindset? Scripture's clear where it's, it's, the, it's the better way to look at life. Scripture's clear it's possible. So how do we do it? Well, first, we don't do it by ourselves. We can't do it by ourselves. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and, and He changes everything. But even before we were Christians, we had the example of Jesus Christ. The Gospel writer Luke tells us about all we know about Jesus in his growing up years. And he doesn't go into great detail, but he says a lot with a few words. Uh, look at chapter 2 of, verse, uh, of Luke, uh, verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus grew. He grew smarter. He grew wiser. He grew bigger. He grew in favor with God and men. And that's an important verse because a lot of people will tell you, you know, Jesus never was human. He was just God disguised as a man the whole time He was here on earth. But Hebrews talks about Jesus having all things in common with His brothers and sisters. The Bible talks about Jesus being hungry and thirsty and tired. It talks about Him being grieved and troubled and angry and in pain. He was human. He grew like we grew. He bled like we bleed. He died like we die. And I think sometimes we forget that. You know, we sing songs around the, the holidays away in a manger. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Really? A little baby didn't cry? In a barn? That's what little tiny humans do, right? They cry. 
I heard about a, a mother who was wrestling a, a crying baby in church one Sunday morning, and the baby just got louder and louder, and finally she was so frazzled, she got up, and she started walking them up the aisle back to the nursery, and the preacher stopped in the middle of the sermon and said, Ma'am, I want you to know that baby's not bothering me in the least. She turned around with a screaming baby and said, Well, obviously you're bothering him quite a bit. No babies cry, right? That's just what they do. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. He grew in favor with God and men. Those New Testament writers, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they wanted us to know that Jesus became just like us so that we could become just like Him. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Son of God became human. And Paul says our attitude should be the same as his. In fact, you might be looking at an older version that says, have this mind in you. Have the same kind of mind in you that Jesus had. That's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Have this mind in you. How do we do that? How do we adopt a growth mindset? We know we're called to maturity and to growth and transformation. We're called to be more like Jesus. How do we do that? A lot of strategies when we talk about spiritual growth. But this morning, this really has all been kind of introduction to get to my one and only point. And I'm going to tell you up front, it's a pretty simple point. And when I share it with you, you might say, oh, that's shallow. I think it's profound. And I think it's a thing, a strategy. I think it can change a week. I think it can start working immediately. And I think you can have one of the best weeks you've ever had uh, all year if you adopt this strategy. How many times does, does someone ask you, how's your day going? How's your week? How do you answer that? You know, we process those kinds of questions by thinking, okay, did good things happen to me today? Did good things happen to me this week? And enough, if, if enough good things happen to me today, then today's a good day. If enough good things happen to me during the week, then this has been a good week. If good things happen at work, if good things happen at home, you know, if I go to the dentist and everything's good, if I do well on the test, if I do well on the interview, then it's a good day and it's been a good week. But our days and our weeks are really made up of moments, right? A moment that's good. Okay, what makes a moment good? What makes a moment great? And here's what I believe is the simple, definitive answer to that question. What makes a moment great is a moment spent with God. Any moment spent with God is a great moment. It's really it. It's not about more comfort or more money or more stuff. What makes a moment great is being able to spend time acutely aware of God's presence right here, right now. 
When I am living in the moment with God, and yes, God's with us all the time, but we don't live in the moment with God all the time. But when I'm living in the moment with God, His love is right here, right now. His joy is right here, right now. God's peace, God's comfort is right here, right now. His forgiveness, His grace is right here, right now. And nothing can take that away. And so our goal needs to be to spend more moments acutely aware of the presence of God. Spend more moments living in the Spirit. And of course, Jesus is the perfect example of this. Look again at um, Luke's uh, narrative regarding Jesus' childhood. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Do you ever wonder how Jesus grew in favor with God? What does that mean? What did that look like? Paul says he humbled himself. He became human. He didn't lie in a major and think, I know I'm the God of the universe, but I've got to convince these people that I'm a baby, so I'm going to cry and I'm going to coo and I'm going to do baby things. No. He came to this earth as a baby. He was subject to the normal laws of human development. And he modeled for us what growing in favor with God would look like. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, He, Jesus, went to Nazareth where He'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath, He went into the synagogue, as was His custom. From the time He was a small child, Jesus' custom was to go to the synagogue and worship the Father. Jesus had developed customs and rhythms and practices in His life to be in the presence of God. Let me say a word real quick to you parents of young children. Martha and I spent uh, last week with our three young grandchildren. I was reminded of just how exhausting small children are. (laughs) But you parents that show up here with your children every Sunday, I, I was again reminded how hard it is to pry them out of bed on a Sunday morning to get them to the kitchen when they're in a bad mood and sit them down and feed them some kind of breakfast and then clean up the mess that they make and then try to get them dressed while they're fighting you the whole time. The youngest one's crying, the oldest one's complaining, the one in the middle is watching cartoons. You can't get them dressed. You know, you finally, you're trying to get yourself dressed. You're like, I can't leave the house like this where we're late. So you get in the car and you, you wrestle them into a car seat and they're fighting the whole way and you're breaking up the fight and you tell them, look like we're all happy when we get out of the car. You get here late, you look for a place to sit, and you're just exhausted before you even start to worship. Listen, moms, dads, you are doing the right thing. I cannot tell you how much pleasure you bring to the heart of the Father when He sees what you're doing for your children. You are instilling in your children rhythms and habits And they're forever going to know that we went and we worshipped on Sunday morning as was our custom. We worshipped God. You know what? We're going to give you a pass if you show up a little bit late. And we're going to give you a pass if, you know, the kids are crying. And we're going to give you a pass if you spill some Cheerios on the seat. And uh, we're glad you're here. We are thankful that you have gone to the trouble and the work and the effort to get your family here together to worship God with our family. Okay. 
You're familiar with Jesus being tempted in uh, the wilderness. We talk about spending moments with God. How did Jesus answer every one of those temptations that Satan tempted him with? He used Scripture, didn't he? It is written. That was Jesus' response. And then he would go on to tell what was written. How did Jesus of Nazareth know Scripture? Say, well, he was Jesus. No, I think he knew Scripture the same way we know Scripture. I think Jesus immersed himself in the Word until the Word became second nature to him. He learned through Scripture how to live in the moment with the Father. He also learned through prayer how to live in the moment with the Father. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, among many, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus lived his life with an awareness of the presence of the Father. He lived moment by moment with an awareness that God was right there. What what if we were to do that? What if we were to acknowledge God in every moment of our lives? What if we were to live with an awareness that we're living this moment with God? You think that would change your day? You think that would change your week? You know what the greatest obstacle that is? Me. You. Not me, the preacher. I mean us. Ourselves. Because most of the time, our mindset is, I can handle some of this on my own. In fact, I can handle almost all of this on my own. God, I might need you, so I'm going to keep you on call. And if I get in over my head, I want you to come, but I'm fine. I got this. I can handle it. There's a lot of smart people in this room. Education is a wonderful blessing. But I think sometimes we can get so educated that we become a little bit arrogant and prideful. Maybe a little bit um, self-reliant. You've heard the saying before, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I think it's true. In fact, I want everyone to do this with me this morning. I want you to say with me, I'm not the smartest person in this room. Say it out loud. I am not the smartest person in this room. Some of you are looking up like, wait, what's going on? That didn't apply to you, but let's say it again. I am not the smartest person in this room. Okay, every single one of you has just spoken truth. We have all just admitted we are not the smartest person in this room. All of us. I guess except one of you. I guess there is one smartest person in this room. If that's you, you're in the wrong room. (laughs) If you're the smartest person in this church, you need to find a smarter church. James says this, James chapter 1, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. What if every time we faced a problem, every time we faced a challenge, every time we didn't know quite what to do, every time we got confused, what if instead of relying on my own intellect and my own talent, what if I just ask God, God, would you give me wisdom? Would you, would you give me guidance right now? What if we became so immersed in the Word that when something came up, 
God's Word just came out. You think that would change your week? Think that would change your days? Our thoughts and our actions, our decision-making process? What if for every problem we faced, every challenge we had, every time we didn't know quite what to do, every time we were a little bit confused, instead of relying on our own intellect, our own abilities, what if we stopped and prayed to God? What if our days really were filled with prayer? Do you think it would change your moments? Do you think it would change your week? I am convinced that God is calling us, starting with me, to be humbled, to be challenged, to be stretched like never before. We're challenged to live in utter, complete, moment-by-moment surrendered dependence on God. Moment by moment, dependence on God. You know, I look around this room, and with my, with my closed mindset, I see a lot of really full jars in this room. And I think, man, with our talents, with our abilities, with all we've got going for us, we ought to grow in every way. But I realize that's wrong thinking. And that's wrong theology. What I need to be seeing is a group of believers who are allowing God to free us from this fatal dependency we have on ourselves. Say, God, would you just empty me? Would you humble me? Would you allow me to live every single moment of the day aware of your presence and the power of your Spirit? Through study of the Word, through prayer, through meditation, through community, to be in the moment with God. Now, I haven't done this in a while, but I'm doing it today. When you leave the auditorium this morning, there's going to be some people at the doors, and they're going to have some cards to hand you. They're going to have this card uh, to hand you as you leave. And the card says this, Happy moments, praise God. Difficult moments, seek God. Quiet moments, worship God. Painful moments, trust God. Every moment, thank God. And what I want you to do is take a card with you. Stick it on your refrigerator, put it on your dresser, on the visor of your car, somewhere where you'll see it during the week. Somewhere where it can remind you that what's ever going on in this moment, I am spending this moment in the presence of God. I think it'll change not just your week, I think it'll change the rest of your day. To realize I am living life. I am living moment by moment in the presence of the Almighty God. But it'll never happen until we surrender every single week, every single day, every single moment to God. Imagine how much we would grow when that starts to happen. Our days are made up of moments. Which brings us to this moment. What's God placing on your heart in this moment? What does God want you to do in this moment? As a church family, if we can help you, if we can pray with you or for you, if we can help you be in the moment with God, there'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium. We'd love to help you. We'd love to meet you and talk with you. Let's stand and sing.